Welcome to the Dirtbag State of Mind podcast from the Climbing Zine. I am Luke Mihal, and this is episode 10 of season 3, our final episode for this season. And this is the second part of Dancing with the Queen. So if you want to hear this full story, go back to episode 9 and listen to that one and then come back to this one. This story is also published in volume 22, as I said in the last episode. So if you want to read it first, that's your style. Maybe stop this podcast. If you do stop it, we are in the middle of our Keep the Zine Alive campaign. We're trying to add a thousand subscribers this year. And I know this shit. I know like when you hear a favorite podcast and they see you need your help, and you're like, all right, I'm going to do it tomorrow and this and that. I do the same thing. But we really actually need everyone to help us get to this number. If you're already a subscriber, come in the store, get some merch, get a gift for a friend or a significant other or somebody you got a crush on. Um, Because we need this help to stay alive. I'm sure everyone has followed the rock and ice and climbing saga and um, big companies ruining um, media, print media. And um, we're trying to keep this alive. We're independent. We're never going to sell out. We're here for you. So show us some love. You can find discount link in the show notes or just head over to climbingzine.com. One other little plug, heading out to the Climbers Fest next month in July. Um, I try not to do anything too date relevant with the podcast. I know a lot of people just listen to the archives and people might find this in like the year 2030 if podcasts are still around. Um, But the reason I'm mentioning is that I love the Climbers Fest in Lander. It's kind of like summer camp every year. And for me, it's really uh, an exchange of ideas, meeting new people and just seeing um, kind of the really great side of the climbing community of all of us coming together. That fest has been around forever and um, started by Todd Skinner. And Lander is just a very welcoming community. All right, those are my plugs. Thanks for listening, everybody. We're going to be taking a short break before the next season. Hopefully going to get some good interviews up at the Climbers Fest and reading more stories and who knows what else we might bring to this. Hey, everyone. Tommy Caldwell here. You know, everyone, at least in the climbing world these days, is trying to figure out ways to live more intentionally, to live a less impactful life. And one of the best things we as climbers can do to make that happen is to support and buy things from the companies that are doing the same thing, the companies that are figuring out ways to lower their carbon footprint, lower their chemical usage, make their products out of recycled materials, make products that just don't wear out. And, you know, the only company that's doing that well in the ropes and hardware space is Edelrid. They've been innovating the best products for over 100 years. They invented the sit harness. These days, they make unquestionably the most high quality ropes, the lightest weight carabiners. And really, they're just awesome all around. So check them out at www.climbgreen.com. This episode is sponsored by Kilter. Looking for a fun way to train at home or at the gym? Check out the Kilter board. Kilter board has innovative light up holds, progressive app, and animated functions with climbs for all abilities. It also has two layouts to choose from, with large online communities for each. There are over 50,000 problems in the original kilter board layout, and the newer home board layout comes with over 4,300 problems. You can set, tick climbs, make shareable playlists, watch send videos, and even add your own. Kilter has multiple wall sizes and package options available, so we can help get you a kilter board in almost any space. Check out Kilter at setterclosetcom and look for more information in our show notes. This episode is also sponsored by Osprey Packs. Osprey and the Climbing Zine share the same backyard. 
Located just down the road from Durango and Cortez, Osprey makes innovative, high-performance gear that reflects a love of adventure and devotion to the outdoors. High-quality packs for any adventure and season. We are proud to share a home in the Four Corners region of Southwest Colorado and the infinite outdoor opportunities that exist here. For more information, check out osprey.com. All right, let's get into part two of Dancing with the Queen. I thought my success might come shortly after Dave's, but again, I was one hanging this thing over and over again. My fitness just wasn't quite there. In fact, Dave managed to link up a pitches one and two, 40 meters of 0.5 purple camelots, while I was still hanging on that second pitch. Obsession is a strange thing. It's often given a negative connotation, and of course, in many ways, it can be negative. With this climb, there had to be a shared obsession for Dave and me. Sure, the best of the best would be able to do this pitch over the course of a weekend. Shit, Pete Whitaker might be able to do it first try on a similar time period, though obviously Dave shot ahead of me in fitness. Of course, obsession will almost inevitably result in success, especially something so simple yet difficult as a finger crack. There were times when I'd question our obsession, and one day in particular highlights that more than anything. The shoulder season in the creek can be referred to as the time period close to the on season. Late winter, early spring, late spring, early summer, and late summer. Often at the right place and the right temperature, these days can be surprisingly pleasant. The queen gets a lot of shade, so in reality the climb could be done in the morning on a day that might reach 90 degrees or higher. The bugs are the first indicator that, as a climber, you're there too late. Nothing too wicked, but just annoying enough. In June in the creek, the crowds are completely gone, and the place is a ghost town. But for some reason, our obsession led us back for one last attempt before the summer heat kept us away for months. I can't exactly recall how our attempts went, but in the shade, the conditions were surprisingly decent for early summer. One thing I do recall is that I didn't send and we knew when the sun was coming, it was time to get the hell out of there. Highs were predicted to be in the mid-90s. We indeed did get the hell out of there, jogging down the trail, headed for the temporary comfort of truck air conditioning and cold beers that waited in the cooler. The temperature on my car thermometer read 104 on the drive back to camp as we contemplated how much shade we'd find there amongst the cottonwood trees. When we got back to camp, the sun was so high, and there wasn't much shade in the cottonwood trees, and it was midday. The cold beers weren't cooling us off, and neither was the air conditioning in the truck. What the fuck are we doing out here? The rest of the day is a blur of heat, but I do remember I went to bed before it got dark. A dust storm had also rolled in, and the last picture I have in my mind that day is a swirl of red desert dirt engulfing us as I snuck into my tent for a hazy night of a hot summer sleep. Obsession has its price. This fall was going to be it, I told myself. It was over five years since I ate it up that magical line, and it was time to get it done. We went out there early, again, nothing near that summer heat of our final June trip, which may have prepared us to endure the desert heat a little more. I expressed to Dave that I was reaching a breaking point, that after years of failure, a certain discontent was arising. Dave understood exactly what I was feeling, 
You stop caring, he said. I had tried to stay fit over the summer by sport climbing. Luckily, most of Durango's sport climbing is overhanging, and it always provides a good base level of fitness if you keep at it regularly. Kind of like Popeye eating his spinach. In the late summer, I made another overstoker move and got on an overhanging fingery route without properly warming up. I immediately felt a tweak in my middle finger and my ring finger. By a simple twist of fate, I had an acupuncture appointment scheduled for right after that climbing session. My acupuncturist concluded that it was my nerves around my finger that I had injured. When I went to bed that night, I could feel those nerves and wondered if it might be another season of failure on the project. I still went out with Dave. On some days, I'd just top rope, but on others, when I felt better, I'd give it my try hard. It actually wouldn't bother my fingers until I was sleeping, and then I'd wake up and my hand would be numb. I had a combination of passion for the climb and a nagging injury telling me to rest. Perhaps, out of obsession, I listened to my mind and not my body. Perhaps there was a void to fill. I don't really know, but I do know I was fit, but also injured, and I carried on anyways. On a mid-October weekend, I rolled out in my usual Friday evening fashion. This time, I cruised through the Creek Pasture campground, looking for a friend who works for the Access Fund, but he wasn't there. Then all of a sudden, I saw someone walking towards me, and I recognized him. It was an old climbing friend, Esteban. It was like something emerging from nothing. One moment, I was thinking I'd spend the night alone, and the next, I realized I'd be catching up with a good old friend. We sat around a campfire and caught up. We'd both been through similar trials and tribulations over the last couple years. Later that night, a friend of his arrived, and they agreed to come out and join us as we worked on the project. They followed me back the winding dirt road, and there was Dave and his Subaru. We walked up the hour-long trail and performed the rituals. That day I was psyched, but when I climbed, I felt simultaneously tired and nervous. It was one of my worst attempts all season, but I knew I had another attempt the next day. On Sunday, I went back up with Dave. How many Sundays had we spent together at the base of this climb? I wish I'd kept track. I did start keeping track that year, and this was my ninth lead of the season and my 16th of the year. Just me and Dave. He would always say, nobody's home, when we gaze across the expanse of our view. The six-shooter towers in one direction, canyon lands unfolding in another, and the Henry Mountains, countless miles in the distance yet still visible on the horizon. I did all the rituals and even added a new one, cleaning off my shoes with an alcohol-based cleaner that actually works a bit of magic on old rubber. I jugged up the static rope to reach the second pitch. I loved the routine and tried to remain in the moment with no expectations for success. I guess that's one great thing about repeated failure. It lowers your expectations. Sometimes before starting up a project, I'll think about this wide boy's quote, Focus on the performance, not the goal. But this day, I had Kobe Bryant in mind. Always give it the effort, every time. I don't know if this was a direct quote, more of a general sentiment of his, but I get it. Do the workout, no matter how you feel. Do the work, always. In climber speak, always give the climb the tryhard. I started up through the first moves, finger jams with good pods for the occasional hand jam and good feet. Then the overhanging crux section, 
where we figured out it was best to bump the purple Camelot three times rather than place a new piece. Yes, I had this one memorized, but I always make a mistake. In my head, I knew I had to keep performing. Finger cracks don't allow much room for slippage or mistakes. As I passed the crux, I remember Dave yelling something up to me about keeping my jam secure. I remember an imperfection in the process, one jam that wasn't as secure as it should have been, but I got away with it. I clipped the anchors in success and then just slumped there in disbelief. I love you, man, I yelled down to Dave. It was truly the first thing that popped into my head. I was so happy and proud of myself, but the first instinct was the friendship that Dave and I had that led me to this moment. I was on cloud nine. It didn't feel exactly how I imagined it, Life never really does, but the feeling of deep satisfaction was immense. This moment was akin to what I think a basketball player might feel, the championship trophy in hand, or a rapper who just laid down a track they put everything into. The reality of it being a late Sunday afternoon kicked in. Dave had to work the next day and so did I. There'd be no champagne showers or anyone else around to celebrate with. We drove back to camp, picked up the poop bucket, and then we were on our way back to the paved highway. At the last gate at the highway, we gave each other a hug and one more congratulations. It all felt very abrupt, how a six-year project could end so vapidly. Then I remembered Esteban was still camping in Creek Pasture. Instead of the right turn back to Durango, I took a left and headed to their camp. When Esteban and his crew got back to camp, they asked me how things went, and I was excited to tell them that I'd finally had success. That night, we celebrated. When I'd had enough, I snuck away from the campfire to crawl into the back of my truck to pass out. I remember having a smile on my face as I drifted off with the cosmos. Later, I'd find out that two friends had gotten engaged that weekend, and another couple had welcomed the arrival of their daughter. I guess magic was in the air. The emptiness that comes after completing a long-term climbing project was compounded by the fact that it still hadn't healed my fingers from that nerve injury. My creek season was over in mid-October, when others were just beginning. I went out one weekend and just tried to climb hand cracks, but it was still bothering my injury. I stayed away up until Creeksgiving, when I went out there just to hang out and do our annual memorial run to the South Six Shooter, something we do to remember our friend Adam Lawton, who died in an avalanche over a decade ago. That morning, I woke up at a campsite that I spent so much time at, it feels as much like home as home does. There was a bit of sadness because so many friends that used to come out there weren't there. But there were new friends, and Dave and I rallied a few to do the run. This was my first time back to Creeksgiving in a few years, and I hoped I had enough running fitness for double-digit mileage. A group of maybe eight of us took off from camp, going for a run on a sunny day in a place where everyone else is going climbing. The oddness suits me and our misfit group of friends. Just as the passion for hip-hop and basketball can inspire my climbing, this run is a juxtaposition of the America I love. While climbing is my favorite and perfect high, running has its perks too. By the time we reached the South Six Shooter, that old reliable runner's high kicked in, and I was grateful to be up there with Dave and some new friends. At the base, I dabbled in some plant medicine. Much like the mixture of hip-hop, the dead, and inspiration from basketball, it all felt right, and it all felt American. Depression felt distant. All of this in our beloved Bears Ears National Monument, a protected, for now, landscape.
After the time to chill had passed, we began our descent down the talus, the oneness of this special place bleeding deep down within our souls. This was a special day at the end of a season where I finally achieved a goal. One I know is meaningless in the grand scheme of things, but I also know it was completed with dedication, humility, and the most important ingredient to me in all things climbing, friendship. That was episode 10, Dancing with the Queen, the second part. That piece is published in volume 22. That's the end of season three. With this story, it just makes me think how you know grateful I am for my climbing friends. And it really is, to me, the most important ingredient. I mean, climbing can be very transactional. Some people will just kind of climb with whoever. But we are always putting our lives in the hand of someone else when we're rope climbing. And I don't think we can ever forget that. And I hope everyone listening has that, at least one of those people that you just trust with your life. I'm fortunate to have several as I get older. I find new climbing partners. I part ways sometimes with, you know, people that maybe I don't jive with as much. Um, But that's, to me, the heart of climbing and the reason I love it so much. And if you haven't found that person, keep trying to find that person. And they're definitely out there. Music for this episode is by Devin Dabney. Our digital editor is Chad Rich. Chad and Devin are both just been amazing partners in this endeavor, and Chad is uh, has, has dealt with so many of my um, issues with learning about podcasts and audio levels, and he's really an expert, and I owe that guy a ton. He's so dedicated. He's not even a climber, but he's so dedicated to this, and he is very much a connoisseur of mountain town culture, and he's just a really great person. Devin and I are also working on a mixtape that we're going to come out with here sometime this year. It's going to be called the Microdose Mixtape. Check out his podcast, The American Climbing Project. He's got some great essays in the climbing zine as well in 19 and 20 and a lot of good poetry too. And be sure to check that link in your show notes to keep the zine alive, get some goodies, keep this flowing, and uh, we'll keep the written word in this podcast alive for you. All right, signing off from Durango, Colorado, where we're finally getting some rain. Uh, peace. Peace.